Hello, welcome to Spilling Chai on the Pain Gap. I'm your host, Anisha Hussain, and I am so excited to tell you about our guest today, Rashma Saujani, because she is a personal hero, icon, feminist warrior. I mean, I, I cannot be more obsessed uh, with this woman. I'm gonna quickly go and just read you her bio because her work really speaks for itself. Reshma Saujani is a leading activist and the founder of Girls Who Code and the Marshall Plan for Moms, which is featured in The Pain Gap as one of the most innovative solutions by a woman of color for our current crisis. Um, she has spent more than a decade building movements to fight for women and girls' economic empowerment, working to close the gender gap in the tech sector, and most recently, advocating for policies to support moms impacted by the pandemic. I am obsessed with her work on this front. Reshma is also the author of the international bestseller, Brave Not Perfect, and her influential TED Talk, Teach Girls Bravery Not Perfection, has more than 5 million views globally. In response to the disproportionate impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on America's moms, Reshma launched the Marshall Plan for Moms to advocate for policies that value women's labor in and out of the home. The movement has framed the national conversation about how we support moms and is backed by A-list celebrities, activists, and business leaders. Reshma has successfully worked with the House and Senate leaders to introduce Marshall Plan for Moms legislation at the federal level and is continuing to act as an ongoing agitator to change the culture through creative awareness campaign. Her fourth book is currently out now. It is called Pay Up, The Future of Women and Work, and Why It's Different Than You Think, and I am so honored. I am so honored. Actually, if you watch this in interview, you will see that I was so nervous talking to my real-life Shiro that I was actually reading my questions. I couldn't even just have the conversation. I was so scared. I was going to keep forgetting my questions because all I wanted to do is really just bow down. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much. First of all, Rishma, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm not only a huge fangirl, but I really consider you just one of the most important voices out there. And you really, you just um, inspire me so much and give me so much hope because you always have solutions. Um, I want my first question to be about your, your family. So you are of Gujarati Indian descent and your parents uh, were expelled along with many, many other uh, families and people of Indian descent in the 70s by Idi Amin. How did that event shape your own childhood growing up in Illinois where you were born? I mean, I think it shaped everything. I, uh, you know, one, I think it, it's what created my passion for public service and my love for this country, you know, because it literally saved my parents' lives. You know, they were expelled and they had 90 days to leave the country. They'd be shot on spot. You know, they came here not knowing the language, not having any friends, not having any money, you know. So watching your parents with that amount of resiliency and that amount of like just strife you know, in many ways is a powerful way to really to grow up. And so I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for that experience. And I think, you know, they say in Hinduism, like, what's your Dharma? And I do feel like I was put on this earth to be a warrior, you know, and to fight and to fight for those that are vulnerable. And I think so much of my parents, you know, history and how they came here, what they went through uh, is where that, 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 that desire comes from. 
I love that. And you know what? You are a warrior, which leads me to my next question, which is your TED Talk. I'm sure people ask you about this all the time. But teach girls bravery, not perfection is actually um, something that I look up regularly on YouTube. And I, I have like studied it, but it also, it just gives me so much energy. Um, it is so well written and full of so much smart and uh, wise advice and excellent points. But in it, uh, you talk about the bravery deficit and how much we're losing economically and socially because we're not teaching our girls to be brave. Um, do you think that deficit is decreasing? Because it's been about, what, five, six years since that talk? I think it's decreasing, but I think it's decreasing if we stop trying to tell women that there's something wrong with them. You know, one of the big ahas that I've had since I've written that talk is that I think so much of what we try to do is fix the woman and not fix the structure. And so if we can start also like, like I think we have to pull back a bit from the way that we've been trying to approach how we raise our girls. Like we tell our girls to wear a shirt that says, yes, girls can do it. What do we base? We're basically saying to them that they actually can't do it. So now you got to wear this t-shirt so you think that you actually can do it. And so that means we're basically implicitly saying to them, well, there's something wrong with you. And, you know, part about my point about, you know, brave, not perfect is, was about saying like, while we continue to fight the structures, you know, we have to give women and girls strategies, you know, to, to approach the world as it is, you know, and as it is, is really this kind of this socialization of perfection. And so how do we unlearn that? Um, Look, I think that it's, we're in a complicated place, you know, and I'm writing a, a commencement speech right now where I've been, so I've been like sitting and thinking about this because I think people are so exhausted. Like I'm so exhausted. Everyone is so exhausted. It's been this massive quick re-entry into the world and we haven't had a second to really process what we've learned to go inward, you know, to think about it and figure out how we want to come out, you know, after, after that. So like, I think if we, I think that the pandemic was actually really helpful in many ways for some really good teachings. Um, and so I think that if we have a minute to really process that and to like soak that in and to actually make some U-turns, I, I, I am more, I do feel that like the bravery deficit will be reduced, but I think if we go, you know, hard right and just double down on all the, all the bad shit we were already doing before, I think, no, it's, probably gotten worse. We're probably less brave because we're more scared. Yes, that is so true. I feel like we're also still kind of, we're not giving each other the time to process our trauma. The pandemic was traumatic and it's not over, but people are, I told you're so right, exhausted. And it's just, yeah, we're back onto the grind, but we know there's probably another shutdown or something lurking. You're so right less brave because we're more scared. I love that. Um, you founded the Marshall Plan for Moms, which I feature as one of the most important solutions in my own book. And I really don't understand why it is not the law of the land everywhere. Um, it's so important because it centers uh, women in our economic recovery. Your work advocating for policies to support moms impacted by the pandemic is critical. Um, we all saw the gendered um, impact of COVID in real time. We're still seeing it. Women like you and I, moms like you and I, we lived it. Um, why do we still not place value on women's unseen and unpaid work, despite the pandemic exposing to everyone, whether they can articulate it or not, how important this labor is and how much everybody relies on it? <laughs> I don't know. 
you know, I think it's just so deeply rooted into our American culture that moms are martyrs and that the work that they do is, you know, self-sacrificing and, you know, doesn't need to really be valued because that's what it means to be a mom. So I think that a lot of this stuff is very, very, very deeply cultural. Um, I think the second thing is, is that the people that are being affected by it are the most exhausted and the most, you know, the, the ones who have to kind of advocate for themselves, but the, the hardest, you know, it's, it's the hardest for us to in this moment because of our, our own trauma. So, you know, I, I think that we have to figure out how we can find moments, you know, of power, of leverage, and, and see this as a once in a lifetime opportunity to actually make a, a, a lasting change. So that's why I'm like obsessed with workplaces, because I think that the, what immediately affects us as moms and our pain points is our work, right? Do, do I have to commute? How do I have to show up? What time do I have to be there? Is it going to allow me to basically spend time, you know, picking up my kids from school or doing all these, you know, things that I have to? Is my work going to actually see me for me? Are they going to support me? So the immediate thing, right, that we can actually, that is that we can see that if we can actually change this thing, it's going to create an enormous amount of pressure off of us is our workplaces. And so that might incentivize us in our exhaustion to be like, okay, here's the one thing I'm going to ask for, or I'm going to go work for this employer because they're going to provide me X. And so, you know, so I think that's a way for us to go from crisis to power is in our workplaces. I think it's a harder ask right now to be like, let's go march for paid leave because that is just feels so distant. And I think our trust in government that it can actually do that. It's worth our time. You know, the calculation that we make right now, I think it's too hard. But I think where we can actually make real changes in our workplaces. I love that you focus in on that. I love that you focus in on that because, of course, I mean, in America, and you really nailed it. You're like, women can't work without childcare, which brings me to your next my next question, which is, it's so um, simple. And yes, a lot of companies are now realizing it. And like, as you mentioned in your work, um, a lot of the big companies are actually giving in-house childcare. But why is it so difficult still for every single corporation to be like, here, just, I mean, just give it yeah. to women. You reward, the, the rewards for everybody are massive. Why do people make childcare so unattainable in like the most capitalistic country yeah. in the world? Well, because I think for so long, we've been treating women in the workplace as a nice to have and not a must have, right? So when it's a nice to have, we don't actually change structures. When it's a must have, we're all in a room being like, okay, what are the pain points for this demographic that we want to have in the workforce? How do we solve this, 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 and this? And so that is the big shift. So I think employers have to say, okay, this is a must have. So if women are leaving the workforce or they're downshifting or they're not going for that opportunity and they say the number one reason is because my childcare is either unavailable, unaffordable, or I live in a childcare desert. How do I, said company, solve for that and that's what we're you know hope putting into the world next week about this kind of a coalition and how we could actually start actually because it's it's you know i give some good examples in the book of companies that are doing it but they're still the minority right it's still less than 10 percent of companies that are doing i we got to get to 100 percent. but part of getting to the 100 percent is is this shift in that well child care is not your personal problem you know it is an economic problem that i the employer have to help you solve you know it's like healthcare. We no longer said, well, you know, healthcare is your deal. Go buy it by yourself. Go figure it out. Because what would happen is when people had an healthcare emergency, it would literally say they couldn't go to work. 
And so companies are like, wow, wait, I need it. I need it. You know, I need people in the labor force. So I'm going to help you pay for that. You know, a different kind of example is IVF. You know, a few years ago, like three companies offered IVF. Nobody did. Nobody offered, you know, egg freezing or any fertility benefits. And then what started happening is women, men started going into the interviews and saying, hey, what are your fertility benefits? What are your fertility benefits? What are your fertility benefits? And HR folks started hearing that over and over again. They're like, oh damn, like I, I got I to start offering that. And you literally went from three to everybody. So the same thing can happen in childcare. With the, going back to women is that we have to feel like we are empowered to go ask for that. And again, I don't want to go back to like, quote, we have to, I have to fix you. But I think we have to ask ourselves why, you know, why has permission been taken away? I've been thinking a lot of this word about permission, right? It's almost like we think this is how our experience has to be. Exhaustion, depletion, sacrifice, no support. Like we think that that's the task that you pay when you become a mother. So we also have to shift our comp thinking to be like, hell no. Right? Like, no, 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 I'm doing a service. You know what I mean? For society. And because I'm providing this service, I need these things. And so, because, you know, we, if given the tools, we can figure this shit out on our own. The okay. problem is, is like, we've been basically our, they're tying our hands behind our backs. They're giving us nothing. Yeah. And basically being like, pretend you don't have children. Pretend yeah. that responsibility that thing that tetris puzzle that you're trying to figure out <laughs> yeah, every day doesn't exist yeah and that's what's messed up yeah well we've been told for so long that childcare is our problem that our kids are yeah. our problem but it's so funny that they do that in america because i mean now i've been here for like 25 years but before coming here i thought america was like the feminist utopia but even in bangladesh we don't make women feel like childcare is only your problem everyone will step in so yes it's we have to shift our our mindset too. Okay. Someone was telling me this amazing story yesterday. My um, one of my friend's fathers, uh, you know, Arun uncle was telling me how, like, you know, in India, in the banks, for example, one of the major banks would, after you finished a training program, would basically you they deploy you to five different cities, and women would be like, no, 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 I'm leaving now because I can't do that because I have kids. I can't go to like I can't live in Mumbai and go to Delhi or Bangalore, and they changed it. And then another company, sorry, and then another company saw that company losing all those women. They said, you come here. So, you know, part of it is, is us not recognizing the patterns. You know, we've been losing women when they turn to 35, 36, 37 for a long time. Like we've been downshifting our careers forever, but we've basically ignored it because like I said, it was a nice to have, not a must have. So no one has really said, wait a minute, I'm seeing this, this, this pipeline, you know, this leaky pipeline here. It's, you know, and we, they attribute to us choosing, oh, you just want to be with your kids. No, I don't. Right. I want to see them. I want to raise them. I want to spend time with them, but I want to work too. And so no one has been committed to figuring out that problem. Oh, totally. Uh, and we definitely don't want to be trapped at home, by the way, to everybody with our children during a pandemic doing but it. Some of us, I, but the, the thing is, yeah, this, some is of the other, this is the other thing too, which I feel like is we have to talk about is like part of this is choice. I mean, part of how we got here is we, it was as if we were like, we were infantilizing women to say, we don't want you to stay at home. We want you just to be the workforce. We're not going to actually offer you any support to make you make it easy for you to basically be a mom. Mm -hmm. And I think what's free, what freedom means is the choice, the yeah. ability to move in and out of the workforce. You want to stay home for five years, 10 years, go for it. Yeah. You shouldn't be penalized though when you come back. That is true. 
That is true. And, and women are penalized. Women 100%. are penalized. There is no ability to do that. There's no. no ability to do that. Oh my goodness. You know what? I was showing my daughter a picture yesterday, speaking about raising daughters. Um, and it was four days after I gave birth to her sister, my second baby, my second C-section. And I was on air on CNN doing some hit and I couldn't take my painkillers obviously because I was on air and I was showing her the picture and I was like, what was I thinking? Why Thank did you. I, why did yeah. I do that? I, I remember I was still in the hospital. I was in the hospital for three days. I told my doctor I had to leave and he happily, you know, was like, Oh, you're so such a workhorse or whatever have you. Uh, but then I realized, cause I was scared, right? I was proving it to myself. You're going to lose that opportunity. Totally. I was like, I'm going to be penalized. You're going to be like, she had another baby and then she dropped yeah. out. So and right. no one else tells you that's wrong. Hey, yeah. don't screw up. No one else tells you. In fact, and then you start being like, oh, like it's this like kind of sick thing that like, oh, this is normal. And it's funny. I'm about to go away for five for on a trip where they have to like do speak at 10 different things. My son was just so mad. You know what I mean? Because I haven't done that right for yeah. years. But like me and, you know, Audrey, who's been with our, our baby, was reminding him, you know, I used to be gone twice a week wow and you know and i was like that was crazy why did i do that you know why why did i think that that was okay yeah and so, so I, I do think we have to start kind of asking ourselves what do we want yes totally what and then also want? the amount of stuff just crap we put up with like you know, the other yeah. thing is i was in excruciating pain i don't know yeah. why i did that to myself fresh incision anyway okay my last question i know you're so so busy um you are a four-time best-selling author that is a whole other interview i want to do with you in itself your latest book pay up the future of women and work and why it's different than you think is out now dare i ask you what which one is your favorite book oh my god this one. Yeah, I knew you were going to yeah. say that. No, it was, I, I, well, it's, I mean, it is just because I feel like it, first of all, it was, and you know, this as an author, it was the most hardest, painful experience of my life. And I still haven't recovered from, you know, the people don't understand writing books. It's hard. Nobody reads. Selling books is hard. Like, and everyone makes it feel like you should be like Glennon Doyle and like, you're going to get discovered and Oprah's going to write. And, and that oh my never God, happens, totally. Right. And so like the whole, especially as women of color, right? So the whole process is really hard, you know? And um, you have to kind of, my husband always says, you always have the wrong KPIs, Rashma. Like you have to figure out what is it, what it is about. So for me, with this book, I wanted to write that manifesto. And so, you know, for everyone who's read it, it's done exactly what it needed to do. And it will continue to be the book that people will pick up and read and it will do what it needed to do. But, you know, I wrote it during the pandemic with two little kids while I was making all these life changes. I had to write it fast, like all, all of it, you know, it, you know, it came out like right when Russia was blowing up. So like I had all these things get canceled. I'm just like, can I get a break? You also when, did the Marshall Plan for Moms while you're yeah, I mean, I don't want to ask it, you. All of it. I just haven't like... You know, and so, so it's a little bit like sometimes even when I see, you know, when I see it in the airport, I'm just like, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> I love it, but I'm also just like, you were such a source of so much grief. You know what I mean? So it's this very complicated relationship that I have. It's so probably, why did you say that was your favorite? And that's probably <laughs> Very I mean, no, I'm just saying that's what you're like. Why was why did you say that yeah, that was your favorite? favorite. It, was, it was it was a lot, you know. 
It was a lot, but you did it. So it's kind of, it's a complicated it. feeling. Like it's, you're like, uh, annoyed to see it, but also you're proud of it. Yeah. Oh, well, I love that. That's a great place to end the interview. Uh, thank, thank you. you. So much. I, thank you so much. I am so honored. Uh -huh. This is like a career highlight. Uh, uh, thank you. Well, keep, keep shining, keep doing what you're doing and I'll keep, keep, we'll keep supporting each other. So thank you. Definitely. Thank you so much. I'll speak with Take you care. Soon. Bye. Bye.